0: This is the Blackout Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that <laughs> do amazing things. And today I'm finally, <laughs> finally, it's been like months and months and months and months. I'm trying That's to get you. Boy, <laughs> you're a super busy guy. It's I have Colin McDonald on the podcast. Yeah, today. Thanks, for,
1: thanks for having me on. Yeah, so
0: let's it. see what I know you do. I know you edit. I know you direct. I know you write. I know you are dad. I know you
1: brew. How do you make all these things work? <laughs> uh, uh, basically, I don't sleep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's, you know. Uh, no, it's just, I mean, it's a balance, right? So it's brewing. I just squeeze in when I can. And, mm. you know, I have joint custody with my kids. So I have week on, week off. So mm. the weeks that I don't have her, I just try to. Bang it. out as much as I can. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But no. It's... How did you get
0: into film?
1: Uh, I got into film. Um, I mean, I was always a movie nerd. I worked. At, my first job was working on a blockbuster.
0: <laughs> um, worked
1: in video retail for probably um, 10 years, 10 more or so more years. I worked at blockbuster. I worked at Video Difference here in Halifax yeah, yeah. Um, for a few years. And then uh, in that time, after I moved back to Halifax, I From signed. Where? Um, from, originally from Pictou County, mm. so I'm from Stellarton, and I was...
0: That was the Sobeys place, right?
1: Yeah, the Sobeys are from there. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, the wealthiest family from <laughs> from, from, from Pictou. Um, but yeah, I wanted to come back here, so I moved with my uh, partner at the time, and we, she was going to Dal, I went to NSCC for the screen arts program. Yeah. So I r- did that from 2006 to about 2008, mm. and then um, what... Lucked out is uh, doing that program, you get an internship. So I picked up uh, a project with a local filmmaker. And then about a year after that, uh, it was Donna Davies. She's done the a bunch of. Documentary. Yeah, movie. yeah.
0: She's a superstar. She is. I'm yeah, trying yeah. to get her to come on the podcast. Yeah.
1: If you think I'm busy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Donna Donna's know. hard one to lock down. But she, if you can get her, she's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah I did an internship with her because they knew I was into horror horror films so i did an internship on a project about women in horror mm. and did that for a month and then a year or so year and a half after that she had a documentary about kmb effects out of la and so she hired me on as a pa production assistant and it was supposed to be three months and i worked on that for about a year and a half and that got me into assistant editing and working in post-production mm. and then just kind of once you're into that contract and you do a contract it's like well i just got to keep doing this so i kept rolling with uh, you know moving from project to project, worked with her a few more times and just wherever. (laughs) And
0: what do you like about editing?
1: Uh, I'm a story guy. I love storytelling. And uh, so that's why kind of the writing, directing and editing, I've always kind of been my trio of interests. Mm. But um, the edit's like your final rewrite. I know, right? right? So you get get a lot of... uh, you get a lot of involvement in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Or ideally, you do. <laughs> ideally. Wanna ask, ideally. I, I want to ask that one. How,
0: how do you prefer working with directors? Like, you do on them. What, what, what's your ideal approach when a director comes with a project? I made this film. Right. How would you like it to go?
1: Uh, it can kind of vary from project to project and yeah, kind of circumstances. No, Jim,
0: ideally, uh, what ideally. would you like?
1: Um, I mean, if we're talking narrative, yeah. like a, a fiction type yeah. thing. I'd like some notes, some, you know, the kind of circle takes, you know, indicating the stuff to really focus on. Mm. And then I'd like some time to go through it with the script and just put what I think works together. Mm. Um, And then kind of, you know, get some feedback from the director. And then eventually, you know, we would work together. But, I mean, I'm so used to working at this point on my own (laughs) (laughs) that uh, I think one of the last things I did with uh, Michael Melsky was a music video. And he – He's a director around who's been doing, like, 20-some years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Uh,
0: The Child Remains. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was his... But he did a music video in the winter for Adam Baldwin, Mm. um, local musician. He started out with Matt Mays and then was branching out on his own. So they did a big music video, and he brought me on. And it was the first time for Michael in 20 years that he didn't sit down with the editor. (laughs) He sent me notes, very specific notes and takes, and Mm. I put it together. And I think... I think we cut it in like two and a half weeks oh, <laughs> or something ah. like that. Yeah, it was a pretty tight because it had it had a lot of visual effects and it had a deadline.
0: Did you work on the effects or it had? To be- no, it went oh, okay. it went
1: to a gra- like it went to a proper. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of um, driving scenes, so a lot of compositing Great. stuff, oh. and there was Adam was playing two characters, so there was a lot of like
0: oh, compositing oh, them into yeah, the yeah, same yeah, shot yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, we they shot it in December, and I got the footage like end of December, and we were delivering it. At the end of January, Holy and I had to go through the visual effects and color correction um, in there as well. So it was a very short, like. But is, he Is
0: it is the video up now? It is, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I can send
1: you a link. It's on it's on YouTube. Uh, it's oh, called uh, the song's called Salvation. Oh, oh, great. It's a fun. Great. It's a kind of dark take on like um, the Taxi Driver concept, like that movie, where he's like. It's about you know just having kind of split personality type things, but like there's an evil version, and yeah, mm. it's it's good though, and it updates it with like the Uber. We were type drivers and stuff. So. Oh,
0: also, that's where the VFX came in with the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: But uh, no, it turned out really well. I was pretty proud of it considering I was also working full-time and doing that. <laughs> but. So most of that,
0: you were cutting it at night then, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. And weekends.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Anytime I could sit down at the computer and bang out some stuff. But
0: And then, do you remember the first film you made for yourself?
1: First film? Outside, like out of film school? I mean? uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did... One really bad one that I'll never send anybody.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it called?
1: Uh, it was called Livingstone Place. Oh, and okay. originally, originally it was written for one of those like forty-hour, forty-eight-hour film contests. So, mm. um, I was the idea was like we, you had the idea, or they gave you some components to put into the film, Yeah. and you have to do it. So, I signed up for that and planned on shooting it. And then at the time, my dad was ill, and yeah. There was a lot of personal family stuff, so we didn't so goes, shoot for yeah. the contest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I liked the idea enough that, like a couple mm-hmm. months later, we w- we went and did it. But it was just like a home invasion, creepy, oh,
0: okay. creepy
1: slasher short with a lot of blood and
0: <laughs> special effects.
1: Um, but yeah, I don't really send that one out to people. It was um, probably what? my f- oh, sorry.
0: No, go I was ahead. I was going to
1: say probably my first like short that you know I was super proud of was one called Presence that I had Glenn Matthews. Uh, I was a local actor at the time. He was in Hobo with a Shotgun, The Corridor, tons of great, great films. Uh, mm. We developed that uh, with Donna Davies, actually. Mm. Uh, when I was at Donna Davies Company uh, for um, like a application with the CBC. Oh. Um, or they, had, they had a funding program for shorts. So we applied for that and didn't didn't get it. But I came out of it and I finished my contract with Donna. Had the script. It was two characters in like two interior locations. And I was like... I Marazo. could do this. Like, I don't need. <laughs> yeah. So I did a bunch of fundraising stuff. I raised about 3000 almost $3,000 on my own. And then just we went up. It was like two weekends in January. And we shot We shot at a studio, Coda Pop Studios, up on Quimple Road. Mm. And then shot at a um, friend's place on the Hydrostone for the other day. And it's about a guy who's it's all connected around hearing. I don't know if I've sent you the link to it before. No. But I'll shoot you the link because it's all about the idea of a musician who injures his hearing. And then he taps into other creatures from another dimension. Oh. And it's very, like, psychological. but.
0: What, why, like, almost, actually, I don't know if all your films have been horror or thriller, but why is that a genre that you're particular about?
1: Uh, that goes back to being a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my earliest movie memories was probably being six or seven and sitting down with my family and watching RoboCop. Which a seven-year-old shouldn't watch, but uh, I just remember being fascinated by the special effects, and Mm -hmm. my parents were really great about, like, explaining it, so I had, as a kid, I had a healthy understanding of, like, these are special effects, this is fake, and that fed into my love of um, Halloween, and I was obsessed with Michael Jackson's thriller, I used to get my family to rent me the uh, VHS Which was the full video and then a making of. Oh, God. You know, so
0: good. I I, I don't know who I was talking about, but recently I was actually talking about that with someone. and I said, Watching that thing is what made me want to make music videos, actually, because it was crazy. Absolutely.
1: No, it was, and like to have that kind of first, like behind the scenes look, like pull Mm. the curtain back and see the process, Mm. I actually kind of. Funny wrap around is my daughter's obsessed with <laughs> Michael Jackson and thriller. And so then I found The Making of on YouTube. So oh, we sat down yeah. and watched the video and The Making of. And it was just this moment where, you know, I was like, I was taken back. Yeah. It was full circle. But yeah, there was that. And then seeing like George Romero movies. Like Night of the Living Dead, around Halloween time, all that stuff. It just, it fed into my love of Halloween. It's pretty
0: good. I was just reading an article about him and that his first one, I can't remember what the first one was, actually based on the, on the book. And yep. it was someone else's book, like a well-known author, yep. but, but he didn't have permission to do that. So he kind of talked to the person and the person just kind of... L- Said it was okay because he wasn't gonna make
1: money on that first one. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> But but the problem is is he didn't though. Yeah, he didn't yeah. make money. Yeah, cause... but
0: then he made like all these other ones off yeah, of yeah, that Yeah, one. exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it was actually the uh I Am Legend book. Yeah, yeah I, I am legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, uh, I just
0: read it up. I didn't know this story.
1: It's it's such a good book. But yeah, it uh that was a, a movie that I was just fascinated with. because it would be on you. you like I remember going to my grandfather's place mm. around Halloween, and it would just be on any random channel. <laughs> and I'm like, I, to me, it was like I was young enough. I was like, this is thriller. Like there's zombies breaking down yeah. doors. Like it was took me the Michael Jackson video. So I just in my head kind of combined them. So I was mm. obsessed. At, yeah, zombies are still my favorite. So,
0: but you've not made one before, though.
1: Uh, I've made a few zombies. Oh. Nothing that, nothing that I'm proud enough. For. <laughs> Okay. What was really funny, actually, was through film school. I yeah. Kind of going into it, I didn't expect to get to make anything that was creepy or gruesome or zombie-related. And mm-hmm. I ended up making, like, three short projects that were all, like, horror zombie-related. And like, really? I'm getting the chance to do this <laughs> stuff? So it was really cool. But, yeah, no, I've been itching, actually, to do, a like, a proper zombie movie. What do you
0: think of, uh, what was his show? Uh, the Walking Dead.
1: Uh, I've fallen off... The bandwagon, uh, yeah. the last few seasons. I was a huge fan of the comics, um, because Robert Kirkman had a, a really healthy appreciation of George Romero, mm. which to me is, you know, the modern zombie. He's, he's the guy who, you know, kind of birthed that mm. genre. So Kirkman always had that appreciation and kind of approached it the same way. So I was huge in the comics early on. And then when the show came around, um, I was definitely into it because it was, you know, well made and fairly faithful, but still surprising. But then, yeah, it was around, Seasons. It was funny, actually. It was around the same point in the comics, like, story-wise, that I lost interest in the comics. It was around the same time that I lost interest in the show. It was, it was like, some of the big communities, and it was getting, you know, I don't know. It yeah. kind of, it was getting a little repetitive. So. Yeah, it
0: was like, oh, these are the bad people. Now we have to fight
1: these people. Yeah. Okay, we fought this world.
0: Now these are the bad people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's, uh, I mean, no. it, it did good things, but it was Do like...
0: You, how about... um. Uh, so Dawn of the Dead, the remake, that that was in the mall. Yes, yeah, I actually really liked that film. <laughs> I did too. I, I did too. A lot of people was like, oh, "No, it's not good," but I think the part that really sucked me was the ending. Right. Like the, the credits, right? Right, when you thought they were like they've actually escaped in the boats, and then at the credits, you see, like, no, no,
1: right, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I am a fan. Uh, that was a hard one going in, though, because the original is one of my favorite oh. movies, it's my favorite out of Romero's, and it's just my, one of my top favorite films. Mm. So, going in a remake, I knew it was gonna, I had to approach it knowing that they're not gonna take Romero's stance, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, when, like, if you look, watch the original and you think of it when it was made and how much of a commentary it is on, like, capitalism mm. and, you know, this need to, like, consume and buy. And the fact that it was made in the 70s, long before that was really a it social is, thought, yeah. right? Like, malls weren't even a big thing at that time. Yeah. And here's a guy say, like talking about how, Mall you know, a... it, it's, it's not a great mindset to have. Mm. um And also, like, for that ending of, like, you know, you think they're <laughs> alive and great, the original, the way it ends, it's so... On the surface, it feels so happy, but then when you think about it, you're like, no, they're, they're fucked. Like, so they fucked. They, uh, if you haven't seen it, they they're escaping the mall and they have a helicopter, and it's just this line where the main guy, uh, Ken Frazier, is like. You know how much fuel do we have? And the woman who's flying the helicopter like, not much. And then they just fly off into the sunset, and there's music <laughs> swells, and you think it's beautiful, and you're like, you know, probably in an hour they're gonna cr- their helicopter's gonna crash, and they're yeah. gonna be eaten. Like that's not had a happy ending at all. But uh, yeah, I love, I, I do love, I did love the origi- uh, the remake too. It was uh, yeah, I it was really an entertaining.
0: It. it was one of these directors that made it. Um...
1: it was uh, Zack Snyder. Yeah, yeah, him.
0: You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm like, he's fun, really. 'Cause but then I think what happens is when he makes his own stories, then there's a problem. Yeah, like yeah. if he takes a story that exists right. and he makes it right. it's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. But if he makes his own story, it's like, oh God, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm not sure why.
1: No, for sure. I think the big thing with that Dawn of the Dead, because that was one of his first big mm-hmm. budget movies, was uh the script was written by James Gunn, who has gone on to direct garden, Guardians of the Galaxy now, mm. but he started out doing like schlock horror with Trauma Entertainment in New York, like <laughs> the cheapest, just like Whatever. you know, like and like he has a lot of great like horror comedies, and he has a you know, yeah. he has a sense for the comedy and the timing. And he also has a sense for the gore and the scares. So mm. I think there, a lot of what worked in that remake was the script. Mm. Um, you know, you get moments like um, who's it? Nah, not Ty Diggs. Who was the um, uh, the. The guy whose wife was pregnant. Oh, and, and then he hit it. I yeah, and remember. then the, you know he's holding a zombie baby. That just like you know you get these moments <laughs> that are so dark, and I think that's yeah. you know James Gunn just could go there, yeah, and then still make it you know accessible for like a big budget. How plan. do you feel
0: about someone directing your script?
1: That's never happened for me, but I would be into it. I am not sure. Hey? No? I don't know.
0: Yeah? I'm not sure. You know, I, I think about, like, I mean, fuck, if they paid me a lot of money, sure. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, do you ever, like, don't you feel, as a writer, like, when you give someone, the person is going to change. Right, right, It's right. just going right. to change. Right, right. And then there's a part of you that's going to say, oh, maybe I would not have done that. Right. Yeah. But you have directed someone's scripts. How yes. was that uh, experience? Uh,
1: it was, I recently did it, uh, I've done it a couple times now. Yeah. But this most recent one, um, Kevin Hartford. Yeah. Um, he and I have been friends forever. Mm. Um, and then he kept telling me all along, he's like, I'm going to give you a script. I'm going to give you a script. Like, I want you to direct something mine. Like, we should collaborate. And then I do not know where he messaged me. Like, I was looking at your movie poster for Presence, my short. I was talking about earlier Uh, and I wrote this and it's weird, but I don't know. Here you go. And so I'm reading it and it's very, it was a very Kevin Hartford, you know, it's kind of theatrical because he does a lot of plays as well. Mm. And it's very much his sense of humor. And I was like reading, I was like, this is entertaining. I love his type of comedy. I was like, but I don't get where like my side of it comes in. And then it gets to the end and it has a really dark and gruesome twist. I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) This is why it's for me. So, uh, yeah, we did that. And, um, it was a really great experience because I partnered up with, um, an actress, Brittany Kenzie, yeah. um, who I've worked with a couple times before, but we've just been itching to do more stuff. Mm. And so I sent her the script and she got it right away and she came on as a producer as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had some a couple of great read throughs and we rewrote the script. So I got to inject a bit of like some of my humor, which I don't do a lot of comedy, but I like working from Kevin's script, I was able to put in a bit more of mine and mm. Brittany came with some really funny ideas. And then, it just translated really well. Like it was a really smooth shoot, and we had done so much prep that, How long yeah. did you shoot for? We just shot a day, because oh, okay. it's, uh, it's two, uh, two characters in their apartment. Ah. Um, so the premise is that they find out, I don't know where, that their kitchen counter has this supernatural ability to give them whatever they want.
0: Oh. So, so
1: you know, it starts <laughs> out with them asking for, like, an apple, and then they, uh, the stuff just keeps building up until it. They accidentally asked for something that they shouldn't, <laughs> and it, it ends in a very, yeah, very gruesome.
0: Um, do you do the um special effects for your films?
1: Uh, I mean, for that one, it was pretty. Like, I I designed it originally. The script called it for to be a lot more, like, to be even more gruesome than it, we end up shooting. I mm-hmm. found ways to, like, all right, if we did this, we can minimize, you know, because sure, the whole sure. idea was like it, the the kitchen counter is giving presents mm. to the to. The, to these roommates, so we kind of were able to wrap up the gifts that they gave, so when we needed a body that was covered in blood, I wrapped it up in garbage bags. So then I just had to like, so that one I did, but usually yeah. like, on a bigger thing, I would bring someone on to help me with. Okay. It's,
0: Do you yeah. work with the same people or different, it differs uh, from shoot to shoot.
1: There's, I mean, I honestly I haven't needed a lot of special effects in the last couple years. Mm-hmm. I've done a few more just dramas, like dark, dark emotional dramas, so I haven't needed a lot of special effects. Um, did a few music videos probably like four or five years ago that needed some body parts and blood. So I, there's a couple of guys. Yeah. There's a couple of guys that I call on. Um, Troy Kirker. Um, he, he just loves to get, <laughs> I've actually I had a really, this is, uh, this was for that music video probably five years ago. Yeah. And I remember having a, a moment with him where I was texting him or I went to text him and I texted about something about needing a severed head and the, what was great was the response I got back was, I don't know who this Troy guy is, but he gets a lot of interesting texts. <laughs> and he had changed his number, and I was just texting some random guy- person. But uh, yeah, you get you get some weird moments when you're like, all right, bring up bring out the bodyguards.
0: Um, I remember watching a film you made with uh, Kayla Flynn uh, right. last year. Yep, uh, I can't remember the
1: title. Uh, it was but, called Nuisance. Yeah, but yeah. the mask. Where, yeah. where was the mask from? <laughs> uh, that was just a Halloween oh. costume that I was buying. And I kind of want to... Yeah, I didn't have a great concept for a Halloween costume. I usually make my own costumes. And for whatever reason, last year I was just like... <laughs> and I went to a Halloween store and saw this mask. And it just kind of like jumped out at me. So I was like, this would be cool for a Halloween costume. And I was like, this could work. Uh, you know, for... I like so, it was really that whole project started as just like a makeup test. Really, oh. it was like how will this look um, <laughs> all on camera? And then um, Brad and Kaylin was Brittany. cansey was in it as well. Oh, yeah, so yeah. that whole thing came out of just like improvising. We met on the day <laughs> and we talked about you know what could we do? And we the whole smoking bylaw had just hit, mm. and uh, you know we all kind of agreed like how how kind of idiotic it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we were complaining about it and like just, you know, and I'm not a smoker, but even I recognize it was like,
0: this how wasn't really it handled properly. Work? Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so we just kind of bitched about that for a while and then kind of rolled with that. It was like what the idea of like someone going out to find a place to smoke and then ending mm-hmm. up somewhere dark and dangerous. But then we had this creepy mask and the idea was that it was always stalking her. Kayla was the one wearing it. She was always in the background of every shot until the very end. <laughs> so yeah, it was just a pure improviser. It was just the three of us. I shot, and then we brought it home, and I cut it, and like because we wanted to put it out for Halloween. Yeah, um, make, have it re- really timely. So yeah, it was just a fun little thing. It Never was a meant fun it. Thing. Thanks. Yeah, it totally wasn't meant to be like anything. You know. I enjoyed major. it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so,
0: um, what are you working on now currently?
1: Ah, uh, just wrapped up the edit for presents, the mm-hmm. short, and that's off to a few festivals and. Keep working on getting trying to get into more um i got a few other scripts and i've been working a lot with Brittany. we kind of partnered up now so
0: do you uh, here's the one do you have like she's so you're kind of like writing partners now sorry and producing partners yeah how, like, i mean producing partners yeah. i get but writing partners how how does that work do you uh, write a section and she writes a section or
1: right now it's a lot of my past scripts that i've I haven't done anything with yet that I've been uh, sending her and uh, we can right. have a couple picked out that's like one that we know we could do with very little resources we could bang out mm. like pretty easily uh, it's two characters in one location mm. we're uh, amping up some of the dark comedy in it uh, and then I have a bigger script um, which would involve I need a you know, we're going to start applying for some grants and funding yeah. for, because it's just, it's about a 15-minute short, but involves a oh. lot of special effects and weapons and different things. But uh, ah. yeah, I wrote that script. Uh, it's called Hunter's Orange, and I wrote that about... Hunter's
0: Orange? Yeah. It's, it's like Hunter's Orange, a group of people?
1: N- uh, no, I mean, it's around the idea of, like, the orange that you have to wear oh, hun- oh, uh, oh, when you go out hunting, oh, but it's, uh, oh. it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a dark uh, crime thriller, um, but- really centers around, like, a teenager coming, like, into adolescence with his father. And while they're at on their hunting trip, Mm. they come across these criminals in the woods who ends up killing his dad. And he has to to kind of survive and avenge his father. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's really centered around that idea of, like, you know, youth and losing a parent.
0: And that's the thing, like, there are no good thrillers these days.
1: Yeah, no. Especially. Like,
0: in, on, like on those big screens?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of like, uh, especially like more serious Coen Brothers, like No Country for Old Men, Blood Simple. Those kind of like slow burn, 70s crime. Like, no I Country love for those.
0: Old Men was chaos, as fuck.
1: Yeah. Which one? No Country for yeah, Old yeah.
0: Men. <laughs> uh, what's his name?
1: Uh... Uh, the main villain? Yeah, Yare yeah, yeah. Yare ver... Yare ver... Yare Bardem. Yare... Bardem, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wait, he won an Oscar for that role.
1: I think so, think. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh my God. And that God. was one of his
1: breakout roles. He hadn't done a lot in America. Wow. Before that, that was, I don't think.
0: That was, that was yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing I loved about that and like conversations I had with people were like, everyone assumed it was uh, Josh Brolin's character's story.
0: Mm. So
1: then, I mean, I'll spoil this for people who haven't seen it, but I assume most people have. I mean, it's um, like,
0: what, 10 years old yeah. now? Yeah,
1: it's been out there. Like, <laughs> I, I can spoil it. Um, when he dies, like two thirds of the way through, and it's so unexpected, and you don't even see it on camera, people get pissed. Like people are angry. those like
0: I'm and I'm like invested in yeah. this character, and then he just he's he's in yeah. like yeah. he, he has a, n- a meaningless death. Yeah, absolutely. we don't even see <laughs> you him. don't see it happen. God damn it.
1: So then you realize, no, this was um Tommy Lee Jones was mm, the, the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. Uh, so you realize, oh, that was his. Kind of story.
0: Yeah, he um, he he's weird. That weird story was what is it? Was it a dream he told his wife at the ending or something? Like he, uh, he's just sitting at the dining table yeah. and then he tells his weird story. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, those guys they always make weird films. Although I like the one where Brad Pitt was uh, like a like a weird character. I think it was
1: Burn After Reading. Yeah! Yeah, yeah. I really love, <laughs> yeah, that, love one. that one. <laughs> <laughs> so many people I was working at Video Difference when that came out and so many people hated it.
0: Um, I love that film. What I
1: what I love about that and their work is they have this ability to take kind of tropes of a genre mm. and then just like I remember we when we were going through film school, we would look at like a classic version of a genre. So we looked at a film noir film from like mm. the forties. And then you would look at something that was neo noir and we watched their first movie, Blood Simple. And the whole idea was, like, how do they take the tropes of, you know, the classic genre and turn it on its ear Mm. so that you would have the femme fatale who's supposed to be instigating everything and the main villain. But in their version, it's accidental. She's not trying to manipulate any characters. It's just their interpretations of her actions Mm. cause them to do these bad things. Um, And they're so good at that. So, like, Burn After Reading has the ending of it where he's, like, you know, they're going through this crazy story of what happened. And someone brings in this folder to um, J.K. Simmons in the CIA or whatever. Mm. And I'm like, and what do we learn? And he just closes his nothing. (laughs) And it's like the whole movie was pointless. Like, this amazing story happens, but there was no Mm. meaning to it. And there was no message or, you know, thing learned. (laughs) It was just pure people being idiots, basically.
0: (laughs) Talking of that, um, I mean, a couple of years ago you actually started this endeavor on, on on stream right yeah cinema yeah yeah it's one of those things that you don't want to I, I, when I remember seeing that message you sent out and like my heart broke because right. it was a great platform yeah and it's something like doesn't really exist for sure because yep. um I'm one of those people that no matter, like, even if I get to a stage where I always, I make feature films, I'm always going to make short. See, short has its own language. It's so beautiful. And it's not something you just want to make and send out to a festival or show your friends. You want to give it a place where it lives. And like, it's not going to live on Netflix or or TV or CBC. Yeah. So it was great that that happened before we, talk about the demise let's go back what made you decide to do it
1: uh i mean i definitely had those similar feelings like i had been making shorts for almost 10 years at that point and you know had various success festivals people seeing it and kind of getting around but never like a real boom of like holy shit check this out you know i'm kind of going viral or whatever Mm. so i was always like and i love i also love watching shorts and i would spend as much time going to Vimeo and searching to find something of quality Mm. as I would actually watching them. So I was like, if there's somewhere that curates that for me and just a place where you can binge and the whole, my, I mean, my whole thought was like, this content is perfect for those, you know, that binge watching, you know, you can watch three, five minute shorts and then maybe on the bus and then you get off, you go about your day, you watch a few more. Like to me, it made sense. Um, and it kind of, the opportunity came up when I was, I was working for a production company. And they kind of wrapped up after, like, they kind of wrapped up a lot of us after a year year and a half. So I was laid off, and I was on EI, actually, employment insurance for the first time in my life. Mm. And that opened the door to go through (laughs) um, the Center for Entrepreneurship and Development Lab uh, (Seed) program, where you start a small small business. Uh, What was interesting about that? It was a wonderful experience. You get a little bit of a living allowance from the province to like start a business, and you go, you do all these, you do like twenty five workshops at seed Mm. um but was what was interesting about that was like i was the only like person starting a business that operated outside of like nova scotia like it's a lot of people starting like you know landscaping business or like plumbers electricians like there's a lot of that Mm. or you know event planning and here i was coming i was like i'm I'm gonna do something that's basically like you know a netflix like thing and i was never using that in my terminology of like i'm gonna be netflix for short short films films, but you know that's kind of what it was yeah so it was a lot it was a big undertaking for you know a small group of people with like you know just provincial you know small no prescription support mm. but I did that and then yeah I launched that and um it was just it was a mix of a lot of personal and you know small business things that kind of made it harder to get off the ground than I kind of thought mm. um had a lot of great opportunities, and it was something I kept fighting for, even though I wasn't making any. Well, it wasn't supporting me in any way; yeah. it was just costing me. Um, but there was a lot of opportunity that I saw, so I kept pushing forward. But um, yeah, it was just ultimately. I mean, it was a it was a big thing, big undertaking. I mean, so are you ever looking at restarting it, or I I could see it coming back in a maybe a different format. Um, kind of in the last. Since wrapping it up and kind of just seeing the landscape of streaming platforms, Mm. it's – there almost seems to be a bit of a pushback coming from that format, like subscription-based. Like it's still – Netflix is obviously sticking around, but it's becoming very niche. It's almost like Netflix probably in the next year or two is going to become very much like its own cable channel (laughs) because all of the stuff is being pulled off of it and they're just producing more of their content. So you're paying $15. For a Netflix,
0: Netflix channel. stuff. Yeah. You're not getting that,
1: you know, the original idea was you could have everything in one place. Mm. That's not going to exist. You're going to have to subscribe to Netflix and Amazon Disney. and then, like Disney Ooh. and all these, right? Blah, blah,
0: blah. So. But actually, before we uh, we'll jump back to that, I'm, I'm thinking like with all these guys opening up their stuff, <laughs> they're all going to fall and like Disney's just going to ch- eat everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of hard yep. I'm looking at it. Disney. Because Disney already owns almost all of Hulu. Yeah. And then, so it's really just Warner Plus or Warner, whatever it's called. Yeah. And Netflix, really. Yeah. And Netflix, they are big, so okay. So it's just going to be Disney and Netflix and then...
1: <sighs> yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of, as someone who's come from, you know, working in video stores and seeing, mm. like, it's weird to think about it in my life, I've seen... The home entertainment industry changed so much because mm. like it didn't like it only started existing in, you know, late 70s, early 80s when VCRs and stuff came out. Mm. So in my life, I've seen it go from v- VHS to DVD to Blu-ray, like all of these formats. And now it's into streaming. And mm. it's what's interesting it, it is to think about it being curated from one or two mm. main sources. And like that whole idea, especially once you get into digital, is like, you know, if Netflix or Disney doesn't want this film from 20 years ago, where does it go? Yeah. You know, if they don't keep it on their servers and there's no other source, like how does that, it dies? Yeah. It just disappears. And the thing like great films that could just just completely disappear. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, I personally have been like, I mean, I have Netflix and I have, I just recently signed up for prime and, uh, use that some, but I've been renting more and kind of curating my, the movies that I want to watch. I'm Mm. like, I'm a movie nerd and I know what I want to watch. I don't want to just pick the best thing on Netflix. Mm. So I've been running a lot through Cineplex or Google, whatever, you know, Mm. or indie stuff through Vimeo, just like curating my own.
0: You know, I I don't like Vimeo. Well, I like Vimeo because that's where my stuff is. But the thing about Vimeo, I don't really like their staff picks. No? no. Yeah. Like, I think it's biased. I mean, obviously, it's going to be biased because, you know, it's a human being picking it. Like, maybe every... Ten staff picks, there'll be one that's really good. Some are just like preachy, right? right or like right. it's like they're trying to push something, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't, I do know. I don't like it. See, I, I, think you know, the more I, the more I go to things like because Vimeo is the only short film place. Like the more I miss on stream, I, I do. Right. And anyway. That's me morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I
1: mean, it was a hard call when I had to shut it down. It yeah. was really just coming. It was my, after my first year. Mm. And I was having to like resign some, you know, insurance yeah. and other bills. And I was like, I, and I, I had just been <laughs> I had just been laid off again mm. unexpectedly. And I was like, this is, you know, it was a few hundred dollars a month that I was like, I could be. realistic. I was like, that could go to my daughter's education <laughs> or something like that. And mm. I was like, I can't do it right now. It was just, there was a lot of of stuff going on in my life. And I was mm-hmm. like, it's not the right time to keep pushing this.
0: So if, uh, w- what states is here at now? Like, is it all packed up somewhere and you can just press a button and it comes back on or, uh you have okay. to build it from the ground up again. Should
1: I mean, it would, I would have to renegotiate all the contracts with all the filmmakers, um, for the rights. Cause you know, a mm-hmm. lot of them, what I did, cause I didn't have a lot of uh, financial investment in it. And, in that first year. So what I would do a lot of the time, and I think maybe, cause it's like you had, I yeah, did have a friend, yeah. Uh, I think maybe we did it too, but I would do like, give me a year to get the platform off the ground. Yeah, Just give me a year, non-exclusive. Cause I was never like, I never I'm wanted to be, be like, like only exclusively here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, that's not beneficial to anybody. And yeah. for me, it was like shorts are never going to be like that one title. That's exclusively on on stream is what's going to draw people in. Mm. It'd be more about having a great catalog of great mm. shorts. Yeah. So I think I would do like that's what I would say. It's like give me a year, get off the ground and we can renegotiate a longer thing. Mm. So by now a lot of those majority of those contracts have it kind expired, of uh, right? kind of expired. So that would probably be the biggest. And that was honestly that was <laughs> the side of it running it that was the hardest because I was curating the shorts. Mm. So I was watching like watching submissions and <clears throat> going finding my like you know seeking out stuff. Mm. So I was going cycling through all the content, trying to figure out what would be a good fit Mm. and then starting the conversation Mm -hmm. and having these contracts signed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're looking for, originally I wanted to launch with 25 hours of content. Well, that's 300 or so, like on average, 300 short films. So that's 300 contracts that you have to negotiate and sign and get back and get the materials from the filmmaker. So it was just a lot of like, it wasn't automated. It was just me Mm. managing all that. So that just ate up so much of my time. Um, but I mean the platform itself, I mean, I used, when I originally signed up, it was a company called VHX. It was since bought out, but halfway through on stream is bought out by Vimeo. Um, but they create, it's kind of like, it operates like, um, a WordPress site. So you have templates and you can just go in and brand it how you want it. And then they have the infrastructure in the background to like stream the video and you just upload your content. You pay for hours. Um, and then you just upload the content and What was probably my biggest hurdle that I never overcame and might have made a huge difference for Onstream was that um, I always – early on, my big marketing push was that I was going to have mobile apps. I wanted to have it on phones and devices because I was like, this content is great to watch on the go. You could download two short films to your phone, watch it, and then go about your day. Mm. Um, And what was great about the platform I was using was they offered a package. You could pay so much a month. I can't remember the exact numbers, around like $1,500 a month. Mm. They would create your apps, five apps. It was like iPhone, Apple TV, Android, Xbox, and maybe Roku or another one. Mm. They would create that. You manage all from the website, upload all the content, and it would push out to these mobile apps. Oh. And, and they would maintain it, like any updates, push those out to the all the app stores and stuff. Mm. And I shopped around, and it was by far the best deal to get these apps developed. But I obviously didn't have that much right. money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like 30,000 US a year or something like that. Mm. So I went to I tried everywhere I could, provincially and federally to get some support and it was a weird wording thing because it was app. So for apps, they see development mm. and banks don't loan to something that in their mind might not be made. Um a lot of the provincial funding doesn't do app development even though like i went to a source that was it was all about market growth and pushing out nova Scotian content and mm. i was like i have hours of nova Scotian content that i could push out internationally mm. all i need help to do that is to get it's these apps that, yeah. it was like to me it was a no-brainer but once you hear app development they're like no sorry no, no. and the problem was, and this is why I talked about with my advisor at Seed, was like I wasn't actually developing the app from scratch. Mm. They had the apps. It's just – The infrastructure the app's splash made. Splash your it's name legit. on it. Yeah, exactly. You just give them your branding. They take a couple months to put that in place and link it to your website. And yeah. then – but you couldn't – I couldn't – so I never overcame that. I never got funding to help with that. And – yeah, some of the some of the like I won't get into the specifics but like some of the responses I got back were pretty frustrating. Yeah. Um, you know, for these departments that are like, we want to support no discussion <laughs> content. But not in that way. And I'm like, really?
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. So Colleen, I'm gonna end it with this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with the experience you've had, what advice would you give to someone that, you know, wants to go out there and make their own films
1: Whew. Um I mean, I always like to be the You know, the positive person, no matter how hard it's been at times over the years of like the best way to learn is just to do it. And at this point, you know, in the industry, like the access is just insane. Mm. Um, And I think that's the best. Like I I love film school and I learned a lot of working in a professional crew from going through it. But I also learned so much more just by going out making terrible, terrible movies. And each one gets a little better. Yeah. And then eventually you get one that you're like, hey, yeah, I'm actually pretty proud of that one. And then you kind of just, you know, and it takes time. Mm. You know, you're not always going to be that person who goes out there, makes a short, it goes viral, you know, maybe. Chances <laughs> are. Um, but then, yeah, just, it, I mean, the difficulty is getting people to see it. So then mm. uh, I, that's still something, you know, there's no magic formula to, you know, get an audience so it's just a matter of keep trying and and i think that's the best advice i have is just get out there and tell your stories and find interesting stories awesome yeah yeah
0: thank you very much Colin. no
1: thank you i appreciate you having me on
0: this is the blackout podcast
1: for listening.